Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back. It's me. Whoa. <laughs> I got her to come back, guys. Yes. I'm happy to be joining you today, honey, for a journey into scripture. And as you have promised, a short journey. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going uh, to do a short poetry session. She is back to make sure. <laughs> we don't do four parts. <laughs> That was short. <laughs> you, no, you know what? It kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, I did really good introducing you to hiking, <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of the first time I introduced your cousin, oh boy. Uh, yes. Leslie, to hiking. Oh, now you said her name. I right? did. I did. That's, that's good. Because I'm hoping she'll still go hiking with me again when she said, never <laughs> again will I go. It was very clear. It was very clear. The Kinde's, uh, Patty's side of the family is known for being very clear. We just know what we want. Yes. Well, no, we voice what we want. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's good or bad. Whether you actually know what you're talking about or not. Exactly. <laughs> you say it. A bit overconfident. Say it, spray it, and believe it. It's <laughs> happening, people. Uh, so we are here. We're about to dive into poetry, and I figured I would bring everyone's favorite Peruvian poet <laughs> on for today. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, her name is Patricia Kelly Zito. She she runs Patricia Kelly Productions. Oh wow. It's not a thing yet. <laughs> I have not uh it's a incorporated thing. yet. It exists on your computer. <laughs> it exists in your a lot of your videos. Mm-hmm. So we're going into poetry and this is gonna be a short <laughs> yes. journey into mm-hmm. poetry. Uh so we're gonna be talking about poetry. What is it? What are the Psalms? How to read the Psalms, different types of Psalms. And then we're going to be going into uh, just some reflections on all that. Yes. And, and for those who don't know or have not uh, had a chance to head over to our brand new YouTube channel for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the slides are there, even for the first part of the narrative and yep. journey into scripture. There are videos with my husband's pretty face. It is. I, uh, I'm there. <laughs> I'm wearing a tuxedo. No, you're not. I put blonde highlights in my hair. <laughs> uh, you won't see our faces for this one. Not for this one. Not for this one, but you will be able to see the slides. Yep. So, yes. And as we're closing out our, our first year, it's it's exciting. Uh, probably after this, we'll take a little break. You're actually sad. Come on. Be uh, honest. I'm sad but happy. Uh, <laughs> seminary is definitely keeping me busy. Uh, I, I have some projects that I'm doing. Uh, so I would love to take a chance just to take a step back. Hopefully you guys will hear from us, uh, not on a weekly schedule, but, you know, like maybe monthly, maybe every now and then as, as we get stuff, as we just take a step back to reflect and 
just figure out how to do this better for you guys, how to bring you better content and how to, you know, just meet the need better. We said one year of content and we have achieved that. And we have achieved that. So first thing to talk about is what is poetry? When you hear poetry, what do you think? Like roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you? Yes. Okay. You're a poet at heart. I like to rhyme. See, it's only one kind. It's, I don't consider myself a poet. So as a poet, you rhyme from time to time? I'll tell you what's in my mind. Very sublime. <laughs> yeah, I think most people will think of poetry as, you know, rhyming. Poetry has yep. to rhyme. Um, I'm pretty basic in my definition of poetry. Yeah, I think some people like think of poetry as being like romantic. Okay, maybe you know, maybe you. Maybe we we we, or poetry having to be something that, um, you know, maybe some people hate poetry. It's a thing that they were forced to learn. In well, maybe school, they don't get it. That iambic pentameter or whatever it is from Shakespeare, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah, so poetry is kind of one of those things you either love it or hate it. Okay. I have uh, I've loved poetry for a very very long time. Um, I can remember. Actually, the I don't remember what day it was or what the weather was. I remember where I was. I don't remember what grade I was in, but I remember the library that I was in. I was in high school, and uh, this this high school I went to, they had like what they would call free periods, right? Where you could kind of like just, I guess you can go. You could even like leave the school, I guess. You know, like, I don't know, but I would go to the library, and I discovered this poet, and I instantly connected with him. And I kind of like really like gravitated towards him. And that was William Blake. You shared this in the podcast. Blake. <laughs> A. Aaron. <laughs> Shout out to uh, uh, Colin. Uh, Colin something. Uh, Key and Peele. Key and Peele. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where Kyle came from. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that kind of began my whole uh, journey with poetry. You know, William Blake rhymes. He's very like religious. I was like a religious kid, a very strange kid. Uh, I had a lot of questions in my going on in my life about God. Is he real? Why am I here? What's the whole point of all this? So uh, his poetry just really like connected with me, you know? Uh, poetry is known for having condensed language or every line is jam packed with meaning. So a poet usually spends uh, a lot of time, weeks, months, years, kind of making the lines even more condensed, more condensed with meaning, um, whether or not they rhyme or not. It's the art of drafting. Yep, yep. Uh, and it's supposed to be emotional. Like it's supposed to evoke emotions, mm-hmm. you know? The best poems uh, do it even on a first reading or a second reading. Um, but the best, best poems, they keep giving more and more and more the more you dig into them, you know? So, you know, I have actually a copy here of um, a book that I read when I was a kid, so we can kind of get an idea of what a poem is. Okay. I thought that'd be fun. Um, again, William Blake, one of the first poets I ever connected with, sent me on a journey of poetry, even before I learned to jo- enjoy it in the Bible. So even before I was a Bible nerd, I was a poetry nerd. I even thought about becoming a poet you at, are. at one point. He is um, a poet, people. I had one class to take to graduate um, with uh, an English degree. 
And so I elected to take an elective uh, where it was like a, an in-depth study. I actually got to take a poetry class with someone who's actually a published poet. And it was just me and someone else in the class. It was really cool. And um, from that class, you know, I, for a good like year or so, I was like, I'm going to become a poet. I'm going to become a famous poet. Um, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then I realized that I actually wanted to people to read what I wrote. So I decided not to become a poet. <laughs> I wanted fans. I wanted people to, to read my stuff, not necessarily just sit. Because, you know, the best poets nowadays, they write for other poets. You know, they don't really write for me or you. Do you know the latest rock star poet? Amanda C. Gordon? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what I've been teaching in my mindset of entrepreneur. Oh, wow. Well, okay then. I guess, you know, maybe most poets that people would know would be like hip hop artists, but I mean. She's not a hip-hop artist. I'm not saying that she was. I'm just... I'm Do you just, know who she is? I have no idea who she is. No. no <laughs> Do idea. we not want the inauguration together? She's a young poet. She wrote oh, okay. I Climb. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and I know only because it's part of my goal-setting class. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, William Blake, he was a really cool dude. He's probably a little bit... Of, he was a little bit insane. He was probably a functional schizophrenic, which is maybe why I relate to him so much. He, um, he talks about it in his memoirs, like screaming as a child. Honey, he saw... you're not weird. You're, you're unique. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. In, his, in his memoirs or his okay. letters, because this guy wrote prolifically. He, act, mm -hmm. he even like retranslated a Bible because he didn't, he wasn't, he, it wasn't good enough what, what he had at the time. Mm. He was like, we can do better. So he translated himself, spoke Hebrew, spoke Greek, all that wow. stuff. He was an artist. He did things called woodcuts where he would basically take a block of wood and he would like carve it up. So it'd be like a picture and then he would paint oh. it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the pictures that I have in this book are from those original woodcuts and some of the best books like actually reproduce those things. Um, so I actually, I love these poems so much. Two of them I actually had memorized for the longest time and I still, they still kind of occupy brain space in me right now so i thought we would read one okay. or two just to get an idea you know like what, what is this thing called called poetry <laughs> right uh this one is called the tiger okay. and it's before the creation of you know the oxford dictionary so tiger is spelled t-y-g-e-r tiger wow yeah you know so but they retained it for some reason a lot of times they do retain the original language because the sounds of you wouldn't call William Blake Old English, but it was where I still had Old English conventions. Some strange. Anyway, am I nerding out? Yeah. She, she gave me that, that, that wink. I was trying to scratch my nose to give him the sign. So this comes in a collection of poems called The Songs of Innocence and of Experience. So mm -hmm. it's Blake's own poetic journey from being an innocent child, which he meant, you know, going to heaven, being able to go right to heaven. Or, or a man who had experience and who had sinned, who was in need of salvation. So that's kind of like his journey. So this one is called The Tiger. This one you probably heard me say from time to time. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? 
and what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, what a mortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry. What do you think about that? Initial, initial thoughts. No thoughts, no feelings. No, no thoughts, no feelings. So I don't know. I thought it was cool, this idea of this God who can create something like the lamb, something that's innocent, something that's docile, could also create something that's frightening as a tiger. And if you could imagine, you know, like, you know, he lived a long time ago in England, right? Like, even conceiving of a tiger, they probably probably saw pictures of them. I don't know if you ever actually got to go on a safari. But these monsters, I don't think there were any tigers roaming around, you know, London. <laughs> or, you know, any town in England. Uh, but, you know, tales of tigers. India. I don't know. But wherever tigers were... As the traders came back, these tales of this frightening creature that stalked the jungles. And, like, you know, just this meditation on God, really. This is a meditation on if God would, could create something beautiful and peaceful, why would he create something this terrifying? Right. Why, why would he do that? So, what at first seems to be a simple poem, you know, it becomes like deeper. So, it rhymes, it's fun, it's easy to, it's easy to kind of carry around in your head. You know, it's easy for it to occupy brain space. And so if you can imagine like a middle schooler, Jimmy, walking around, head full of hair, right? <laughs> Carrying around like all these big questions in his brain about like the nature of God, the nature of reality, why he was here, feeling all these things, feeling why was I created? Why am I even here? What's the point of all this? And entered this poet and this poem kind of like, encountered me while I was just like strolling through books in a library, picked out an attractive looking cover, open it up and, and hit, getting hit in the face of a poem like this. Nice. And it's, you know, poems are powerful if we let them be. You know, I have another one from William Blake, but I'm seeing from your face <laughs> that maybe I should move forward. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, um, that's good. I'm gonna leave William Blake here. Uh, and that's good. Oh, and I, I had, a, I was on the wrong screen, but here are the woodcuts of the tiger and the poison tree. Poison tree is amazing. Um, Maybe you can read it to me at night time. Oh yeah? Mm -hmm. It's frightening. Then in, after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> even the picture, like if you're looking at the YouTube channel, like just, I remember even staring at this picture as like a kid and just being like, it's a tree on the floor? and it's, on the it's ground? a dead body. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's just like this idea. How, how long is it? It's not that long. Go for it. Uh, I'm going to go for it. All right. Who wants you to read it? All hey. the hands are raising. I knew it. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath. My wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not. My wrath did grow. And I watered it in my fears, night and morning, 
with my tears. And I sunned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning, glad I see my foe outstretched beneath the tree. So it's this, this idea, right, of this person was angry at somebody, but that person was a friend. So they talked about it and everything was fine. But then he was angry at somebody that he hated. He didn't talk about it. And it grew and it grew and he was fake. And this person he didn't like, eventually it produced something that this person of his, I guess it's like his enemy or a foe, choked on. And it was just like such a striking poem to me. And I remember even like thinking about it, like it, it hit me on so many different levels. I thought at first I thought, wow, this is like a great recipe to get someone back, <laughs> you know, just be nice to them. And then like, you know, like betray them or like, you know, like be, be like, you know, like be fake, you know, that's like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then I heard like, um, I, th- I feel like I misread stuff that I, I thought I knew about the Bible at the time, but Oh, if, if you're, if you're kind to someone who's, mean to you it's like leaping burning coals onto their lap all right it says something like that in, in the book of the proverbs uh right um but this this one like really i think caused like it me to have like almost like a crisis <laughs> as a kid because i was like am i a good person like who thinks like that who does this school you're open-minded and you were receiving it yeah yeah but it even made me question, like, well, is anybody a good person? Mm. You know, like. It's like great questions to ask as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was all because of uh, Billy Blake over here. <laughs> Blank. <laughs> so poetry has some things in common. It has condensed language. Okay. Okay. We, we take whatever meaning is there and we condense it down, condense it down, condense it down to where these sentences and these verses are packed with meaning. So biblical narrative is already usually pretty much very, very packed with meaning. Right. You know, poetry. Plus you saw in one short book. Yes. <laughs> that you went over. Hey, I did my best. <laughs> okay. I'm trying over here. Uh, memorable imagery. Things kind of like stick out. Like a tiger being built in a furnace. And you know? that's a second part. Yeah, of- different, different pieces of like condensed language, number mm-hmm. one, memorable imagery. Just some thoughts I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's usually like emotionally charged. It usually makes you feel something. Got it. The best poems are supposed to do. Um, we have an example of the same event told two different ways. Okay, in Exodus 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So you get in here, like kind of like a nice little report of like what happened. You know, it's narrative. There's other stuff there. We're not going to follow it. Although I want to, we're just going to like, you know, you almost feel like you could pick that up on, like, I don't know, like uh, the pyramid times in Egypt. 
right? Maybe that, that's a fictional newspaper they had back then. Maybe they would pick that up and be like, oh, wow, we lost to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Because if it's very like, this is just what happened. But then one chapter over in Exodus 15, right? There's the song of Moses and Miriam where they basically sing a song about this. And it's, guess what? It's a poetry. It's a poem. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name, Pharaoh's chariots and his army. He has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. So if you were going to watch the movie that was made about these two verses, which movie would you want to see? Song of Moses and Mary. The Song of Moses and Miriam, right? We didn't even get to Miriam's part yet. But we're short. We're condensing. So one, you have a whole bunch of people drowned. And then other ones, like, they, they sank down into the sea mm-hmm. like yeah. a stone. They sank down, right? So now the question here is, which one is more true? They're both true. They're both true in their own yeah. way, right? Yeah, I mean, I think some people would say that, you know, maybe embellishing like this is stretching the truth. Mm. I've heard some people say when I tell stories, sometimes I embellish my stories. You mean you lie. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I add inaccurate information to storytelling. Biblical principles to more make my story more interesting. Okay. Proceed. But it's that, that whole idea, too. It's like, well, did they sink like a stone? I mean, well, maybe. You know, have you ever seen a body sink like a stone? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're using metaphorical language. And when using metaphorical language, sometimes you're not actually, like, necessarily speaking objective truth. But there is a deeper truth. There's a truth of stories. Right. You know, uh, right. writing stories and reading stories is really, in many ways, a search for a truth. Mm-hmm. And poetry you know, leads us into a lot of these deeper truths. So like when you hear things like, you know, like God running around like a raging bull or a mighty warrior, those things aren't necessarily like objectively true. Like God maybe never actually put on any armor or ran around with a sword, you know, because God's a spirit. But in terms of like a deeper truth, in a lot of ways it's, it's even more true than if we just had the cell phone footage of what happened right that day right so that's the nature of poetry maybe we could have just ended right there we would have been done but no there's more because <laughs> here's the here's the thing what are the psalms what are they uh we have a picture here if you're following along with us on, on the youtube on the internet um of uh, an esv crossway bible they have like these Bible journals and they have individual books uh, and they have the Psalms. And I highly recommend everyone get something like this. Uh, you know, the Psalms I'm going to be reading from, if I ever get to it uh, today, will be in my little NIV, right? And it's usually like you have, you have, you know, double columns. We're trying to cram everything in. Yeah. You miss a lot of the literary design. 
So, you know, if, you, if you're interested in this, uh, they sell them in a collection, uh, which I think is like close to $100, or they do sell them like individual books, which I think you can usually pick up one for like 10 bucks or less. So I would highly recommend if you really want to get into the Psalms, which I suggest everyone should do at some point in their life, uh, you get into it. So what are the Psalms? Are they poems? Are they songs? Are they prayers? You know, I think most of Christianity has a very complicated relationship with the Psalms. Like, you know, we tend just to pick them out here or there. We like the ones that connect with us. The ones that don't connect with us, we, we tend to like not deal with or we ignore. Like, you know, there's the famous Psalm about saying, God, please take their children and throw them against the stones. Like, you know, not one that you hear really on any given Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Mean, I think. Or sometimes we just read part of Psalms. Yeah. And uh, I still remember when I read, um, I was here in Staten Island, Psalm 139. And, uh, and it's usually just the part that, you know, everybody knows um, that it's like, okay. And then. If you go deeper, sorry to interrupt you, because when it. you said that, I was like, okay, this is funny, because everybody knows the whole, you know, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Right, and it's talking about, like, you were wonderful, fearfully made, and then <laughs> you keep going. This like I'll never forget this. Your words are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. And then I go down. <laughs> Here we go. Where is it? Where are you? <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna go from here. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God? How vast is the sum of them? Where I to count them, they will outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you will slay the wicked, oh God, away from me, you bloodthirsty man. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, oh Lord? And it goes on, and I was like, what? <laughs> is this still one of your favorite songs? This is my, the favorite song. But is it still? It's still, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just when, this is the whole thing where you yeah. say, like, verse by verse, or oh, we totally. take certain things. Yeah. But let's keep going. Yep. Because that part, like, threw me off. Wow. I still remember that. Yeah. Like, like, I was living in rugby, and I'm definitely in my living room, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I was like, he's crazy. Because I've, I've heard so many sisters, oh, I want to marry someone <laughs> just like David. It's David like, is my future husband. You know, we would call him like a murderer <laughs> and like a he rapist. crazy. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, David, yeah, for the win. <laughs> he needs to have the kneecaps of Moses and the hair of David. Yes, yes. He needs to have that rosy complexion like a Moses. Yeah. Coming down from the mountain. Yeah, well, that, I mean, and to me, and I'm still in his journey, right, how to open my Bible, but yeah, when you were talking about the Psalms, what, what are the Psalms to me? Yeah. It's like, 
I will go down. Oh, my favorite one is right totally, because yeah. I'm like living by it, and then I go and read further, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it ninja my brain. So sorry, sorry to interrupt there, but I I, I, so I had to grab the Bible so we were in poems here, and yeah. Anyway, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, because it's like I think you know the poster or the the little like you know sometimes you have little pictures of like a, a scripture verse mm-hmm. that people like to put in their house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like usually like with like a picture. Or an Instagram. Of, yeah, or an Instagram is usually a picture of a sunset or a beach or a, you're on a boat or a starry sky. Yeah. Like, you know, I could- We're bad together. I could totally <laughs> see like, so, like that part of one, Psalm 139. And I, I've known people who have cried okay. over that Psalm because it's like, oh, I'm so fearfully and wonderful made. Yeah. I'm not junk. God would not make junk. And then it's like, you're right. Well, there's, there's a whole- you're missing like most of the psalm. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a dark turn. Like this yeah. person sounds a little insane, crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> insane in a burn. You know, like you can mm-hmm. see. You know, it takes like yeah, this darker turn. Um, I think most Christians, you know, don't necessarily really get into the psalms the way they should. They pick out like like you said, a half a psalm here, and that was a great illustration. Yeah, I loved it. Um, or, you know, they pick out a psalm here or there. Um, but what surprises most people, and I feel like most people hear this as if they're hearing it for the first time, mm-hmm. is that the book of Psalms actually has, like, a design. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, like the songs of the kingdom, like, where there's a bunch of random songs. And, like, you know, we put a little binder, a cheap binder clip on it, and we sell it for $25. Like, you know, like, it's not, like, just a collection of, it's not a hymn book. Right. Someone has purposely actually put this together. And my first clue with this came, uh, I think it was one of the first times I read through the Bible. uh, Just, you know, not in one sitting, but like, you know, from beginning to end over the period of like a few weeks. Right. And when you start getting out of the Psalms, like something strange starts happening. Mm -hmm. It's like the Psalms itself are celebrating that you're almost done with the Psalms. It's like, you know, because I think at a certain point you're just, you're tired of reading like just poem after poem after poem. Yeah. You know, especially when you're, when you're trying to read. I did a year in the Psalms. Nice. Yeah. Is that where you, when you discovered? <laughs> yes. To your horror? Yes. <laughs> was that the yes. end of it? Did you finish the year? <laughs> what? Because I mean, I, I remember someone sharing like Psalm 119 is like the longest one. And, um, and I, you know, I was curious. I wanted to read more. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's the, that's going to be the challenge. I'm going to read the whole song, but not in one sitting. It took really long time. Like who the heck reads it in one year? <laughs> Patty does. Cause I'll use like one phrase. Be like that's my quiet time and I'm going to apply it. Whoa. How do you even, I don't even understand. How do you even apply it? How do you understand what you're reading when you're like the maker of heaven and earth? Okay. That's my focus for today. The maker of heaven and earth. And, and, and people might think that we're mocking, but no, this is like, okay, you probably are mocking, but that definitely was me. Oops, sorry. I will, no, 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 no Guys, if I disappear, <laughs> it was my wife. No, I mean, that's like one of the things and, and maybe one of the things that people have mentioned. And if you haven't, maybe you thought about it. It's like, oh, you know what, Jimmy, Pat, I mean, we've heard it indirectly, you know, you don't have to go and mock and say all those things and speaking to other people. You perhaps are talking about us. We do like to laugh. One of the things that we do truly laugh are ourselves. And I know for from the beginning of our trailer, 
It's about growing and evolving. See, I know that I'm mm-hmm. going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue totally. to evolve yep. and continue to learn. Yeah. You know, the Psalms were really, they were, they were very important for me. I remember uh, when our church went through, when it went through, we were kind of like imploded and it, you know, everything went, you know, crazy. Like we had no leaders. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we lost like so many people that I considered like closer than family. Like, you know, like all that stuff in like 2003, 2004, all that stuff. Um, I was still in college and I worked at um, Bailey Seton Hospital in Staten Island. I was, I was a cleaner while I was on my way out of college. And, um, you know, I had this, this really weird point that some people find themselves when, you know, especially when you deal with community college, you need that one class to get out <laughs> and um, they're not offering that class. So you have to like wait. So I was in this holding period uh, until I eventually got into that poetry class that I was, I told you about the independent study. Um, and I was like, Oh, I could do an independent study. Yes. The only thing that's available is poetry. Sign me up. Uh, oh yeah. I forgot. I love poetry. <laughs> um, I, you know, I remember just every day, just, going out and reading through the Psalms. Like, you know, like everyone else kind of went to eat lunch together. They probably thought I was like this stuck up, you know, kid, which, you know, I kind of am, you know. (laughs) Thank you. In case you don't have knowledge. Oh my goodness. Uh, But I would just go to my car when it was nice. I would sit out. The grounds are are very beautiful. Uh, It's a very old building, old hospital. And I would just sit and I would just read through the Psalms. Um, and I, you know, it was at a time where I was, I was just, I was picking them out. I wasn't like reading through them all. Um, but you know, they, they did help. They did help me going through what I was going through without necessarily recognizing that there was an overall structure. So there is a power to these words. Uh, I do just feel like whenever you're dealing with something powerful, especially as powerful as the scriptures, you really just need to just be careful. You know, I think you can. You can misuse the scriptures or you can miss the point of the scriptures and you can make it very much about like you, like, you know, when I think about most of the Christian music that's out there today, like I have a, I have a really hard time connecting with it because it's mostly about me Mm -hmm. or it's about the singer Mm -hmm. and about how they're in many ways a victim. They're a victim to sin. They're a victim to their own sin. They're a victim to the world's sin. They're struggling. They're sad. Uh, Everything is terrible but thank goodness for God, God's going to bless me. God's going to do all those great and amazing things for me. It's very me, me, me focused. Where to me, the best Christian bands that I resonate with, I don't think a lot of people even realize that they're Christian. That would be like, like I would consider Coldplay, like an undercover Christian band. I would consider, though they probably wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I would consider U2 an undercover Christian band. I think they absolutely would say, yes, you understand our music. Um, Uh, Every single song is mm -hmm. just like, it's just, even if they're talking about things in their own life, it's so wrapped up with the story of the Bible, the overall story of the Bible. And so those are the, are the songs that I connect with more. When you start getting out of the Psalms, you start noticing something. Okay. Right. Maybe getting out. So when you start getting near the end of the oh, book of Psalms. Okay. So like you're, you're reading through your Bible in a year. This is the first time I noticed, hey, is there, is there something to this? Mm-hmm. You know, the first, I mean, the first thing you might notice, um, but a lot of times when people like read through the Psalms the first time they get like Psalm fatigue, mm-hmm. everything is kind of broken up into little books. Yeah. So, you know, um, and they're broken up into books because of actual words that there are sentences that are in there, like praise to the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
And there's a version of that every time one of the books ends. But when you get, when you start getting out of the Psalms, you start noticing something. So in Psalm 46, it begins, praise the Lord. And Psalm 146 ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 147 begins, praise the Lord. Right? And it ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 148 begins, praise the Lord. And it ends, praise the Lord. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. And it ends also, praise the Lord. And Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So there are these five Psalms back to back. Praising, praising God, praising God, praising God. And so that's kind of like the first clue that maybe something is going on. And then when you look into the way the books are broken up, and that, that's kind of harder to understand, like, you know, why they're broken up, because it's, you know, it's, you're getting these big blocks of Psalms, and then you're getting like a line at the end of them that kind of signals the end of the book. Um, but you find out that there's actually five books. So where have we heard five before oh. in the Bible? Why is five important? The first five books of the Bible? Yeah. yeah. The book of Moses, even though Moses probably didn't write them, uh -huh. like the Pentateuch, the Torah, right? The first section of the Tanakh, right? So you begin to wonder, this is weird. There's five Psalms that are very, very similar. And there's five books. Could the Psalms actually be about the Torah? And then you back up and you're like, oh, wow, if, if that's true, maybe there's an introduction. And then as we've learned um, when we were looking at narrative, there is an introduction because Psalms open up the last big section of the Jewish Bible or the writings. And there's a little like editorialist side, like in Psalm 1, right, in verse 2. Well, should we begin in verse 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Huh. So the first two major books of Psalms are ascribed to David. Whether or not David wrote them, um, it's, it's unlikely. Um, maybe they did exist in a form originally, um, but, you know, there's, there's places where David longs to go to God's temple. What's the problem with that? The temple hasn't been built yet, right? So we know that, like, David, you know, didn't necessarily write those. Uh, that's kind of, like, the prevailing view anyway. So, yeah, like, these introductory things also here are talking about the Torah, you know? And these are anonymous psalms. They're generally recognized as these are intro introducing the whole book. They introduce all the themes that kind of play out in the psalms. And then you start thinking, like, huh, there, there's something, there, there could be something to this. And um, so Tim Mackey and the Bible Project folks did a really, really great job of breaking this down. Um, there's a video that's like eight minutes and five minutes is two of them, actually. Uh, they don't have any great classes up there yet now on their um, Bible Project classroom. Um, but Yale Divinity School does um, give away free classes and they give them in, in form of like discussions. Um, which you guys can go and do now. It's it's a great class. I've taken it myself. I've gone through all the videos. I've I've built this. I built this class. Um, a lot of it, like by referencing some of that material. Oh, and coincidentally, in my hermeneutics class in seminary, we're actually in poetry. 
So huh. there's some stuff like that, which is why maybe it, it start, started to swell to be larger than life. And Patty swooped in and uh, maybe do it in one, in one sitting. You're welcome. <laughs> so we have the introduction. And then when you, when you look through the books and you start noticing the major themes, mm -hmm. uh, books one and two uh, kind of detail the complicated story of David and his royal family. Okay. I'm getting some of these, I'm getting some of these exact terminology too, right from the Bible Project video, which you guys should all go and read for the summary of these books. So these are Tim Mackey's summary of the books. Book three, which is like in the middle. And we all know that when we look at stuff in the Bible, if something is in the middle, it's very, very important. Um, this is the, it really focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and downfall of David's line. So David's line seems to have ended. Oh no, we're going into tragedy. Oh no, that's kind of in the center. Oh no. Oh, no, 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 no <laughs> we watch way too much TikTok, guys. Oh no. Books four and five uh, talk about rekindling the hope for the Messiah or the anointed one or the king, right? A new temple and a new kingdom on the other side of the exile. So priest, prophet, king are all kind of like different components of the anointed one like of the coming messiah like if you can imagine a priest king prophet that would be like the ultimate you know biblical judo or biblical kung fu <laughs> of what you know what would be ideal um so you can see that there's there's a big overall story that's going on here it's basically retelling israel's entire history from its foundation to its, you know, to tragedy, mm -hmm. to the eventual hope of everything made, being made right again. And so a lot of scholars have described the book of Psalms like a temple, because now the temple has been destroyed. But like, that's the thinking, at least, when these, when these Psalms were written or brought together, right? We think that they were brought together from a much, much larger source. Um, that we think this because different collections of Psalms are, are arranged differently. And like the Dead Sea Scrolls have some Psalms that we don't have in our Bibles. But anyway, um, they've described it as a literary temple that anyone can go to at any point in time to meet with God and to connect with him uh, through prayer, through prayer and meditation. Um, just like, you know, one of the books that you read on the Sabbath by Abraham Herschel talks about how the Sabbath is like a cathedral built in time. You know, the Psalms are act in a similar way, except it's built up with words. It's built up with words and prayers and meditations. So the people of God, or now us, you know, the children of God, the followers of God, the followers of Christ, are invited into the same thing. And, you know, Jesus as well, draws on the Psalms, and the writers of the New Testament draw very heavily on the Psalms um, in the gospel and in the letters. Uh, so there seems to be something going on here that's important. So the, sh the overall shape of the Psalms, I think, is something that most people in our tradition have no idea. I think most Christians in general have no idea that that's even something that it should be. Oh, it's a great collection of, of, of poems. They make me feel good, right? Um, like those little Gideon Bibles sometimes that you get. It has the Psalms and it has the Gospels because they're like, that's all you need. <laughs> you need the Gospel 
and you need prayer. You know, forget about the Old Testament. Forget about Paul. That's all you need. Forget about the whole story. Forget about the whole story, right? Who needs that? Well, we do. You know, and as we talked before in heaven and earth, temples are Eden-like spaces. So this is really all about getting back to a place that's like the Eden ideal, getting back to a place uh, where the world is back together. So that's what reflecting on the overall shape of the Psalms can really help. Um, I think most people, when they do a class on Psalms or they do a discussion on Psalms, they talk about parallelism, they talk about like different lines. I think that's really interesting. It's interesting to me, but I don't think it's necessarily very useful. I think what's more useful is going into the Psalms with the understanding that you're being invited here to go to a temple, to go into a place of worship that exists in the believer's heart and the believer's mind. And the Psalms invite you into it. And I think some of that shocking stuff that you found in Psalm 139, when you understand the whole story, um, it kind of, not, not saying that it makes it make more sense or it doesn't like endorse going to slay your enemies. You know, we, we, we kind of endorse more praying for your enemies and going to meet with your enemies and work things out and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but it's inviting us to be a part of the story where we're really entering into this space and we're actually living through the ups and downs of what it means to be a human being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So another thing that I thought was, was, was a good idea to do is there's different classifications of Psalms. Okay. So there are four main classifications of psalms. There are what are called psalms of complaint uh, or lament. I like the word complaint better. Because <laughs> you love them. I love to complain, right? <laughs> yeah, people, it's annoying. And this might shock you, but so does the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I do tell you this is your superpower, which is critical thinking. Yeah. And so when it comes to that, that's, it is a superpower. And then the other coin of that is decompensating. Oh, boy. However, and the reason why it's a superpower is because you do whatever it takes to find solutions. So the Psalms of Complaint. Uh, so this might surprise you, but this is the most top common type of psalm. Most of the psalms are complaining. Mm -hmm. You know, and, the, and some of us don't know that because we pick out the nice parts. Right. From even the places that complain. Don't worry, I'm not going through it all. I should just check out my notes. Um, we're gonna just look at one example. All right, so let's go to Psalm three. So here's an example of a Psalm of complaint. And um, yeah, Psalm three, a Psalm of David, when he fled from his son, son Absalom. So just like when we did narrative, this should clue you in, right? There's a backstory here that whoever wrote this, whoever put this together, wants you to be aware of. You should have that story in your head. If you don't, you should go back and look it up. Uh, David, he fled from his son, Absalom. Absalom had really gray hair. Mm -hmm. I hate him already, <laughs> right? Uh, but he betrayed his father. He tried to take control of the kingdom. David had to run. And then Absalom eventually, I think he was riding. He was trying to escape and his hair got caught in a tree, which is why it's better to be bald. Bald is beautiful. 
didn't have a great head of hair. Right, Absalom? Anyway, Psalm 3. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Shalah. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Shalah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Shabbat. That's a good example of a psalm of complaint. <laughs> so when you hear that kind of language, is it shocking to hear it? Like, wow, that's the word of God. I, I remember somebody, uh, one of our friends, John Bean, he, d- he did a class once in the Psalms. And he would read Psalms like this and kind of like look up, like almost like a little bit guilty. And he'd be like, are we okay with this? Like, uh-huh. like if, if you were in a prayer circle and someone started praying like this, would you feel the need to pull them over to the side after and be like, bro, sis, what's up? Ah, uh-huh. oh, man, Susie's gone mental. We got to take her down to the hospital. Right. If, if So if you heard someone start talking like this, would you be concerned? Uh-huh. Right. But here it is in the Bible. So this is the most top common type of psalm. Uh, just, you know, this is an example of an individual complaint. Um, there can be a corporate complaint where it's like the whole community is complaining. Um, you know, there's usually like some type of appeal to be saved. Right. Like in this one, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Like, you know, like it's almost like reminding God, hey, you promised that you'd be with me. Right. You know, and I think that could be a, that can be good for us just to, just to know that, you know, we can even do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times, like we like to whitewash our prayers, mm-hmm. you know, um, we need, we want to make them pretty. We want to make them, okay, we have to have respect when we're talking to God, uh, you know, for me, my best prayers have always been like when I'm angry, you know, I'm just angry and I'm just like, I feel like I'm pouring out my anger and my, my pain to God. And yeah. I'm not using language that might even be acceptable in like a, you know, a local church or in polite company, but you know, it's like, I'm having that discussion with God, you know, just like here. And, and Psalm 30 in verse seven, he's like, arise, O Lord. He's almost like, come on, right. wake up. Right. Like, do you see what's happening? You know? And it's, I think it's, it's almost shocking when you really take these Psalms and you really read them for what they are. I don't think any of us, I think many of us don't even know that we can speak to God like this, right. you know, and that this is the example that the biblical texts give us. The next type of Psalms are hymns. Hymns are kind of what they sound like songs that you would sing in some type of worship assembly, uh, everyone's together. Um, they're very like praise, worship, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of stuff. Good example of that is in Psalm eight. <clears throat> o Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? We've heard that one before, right? Yep. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the 
whoa, okay, someone's getting tired. I have to wrap this up soon. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care about him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's a nice little bookmarks at the beginning of the end, you know, which is kind of cool. Talking about, you know, why do you even pay attention to us? We're just these, these dirt people. Right, these clay people, these mud people, uh, you know, there seems when you, when you, you know you really know like how to read uh, your Bible, there seems to be some allusions there to like heavenly beings. Like when he's talking about the sun and the moon, he's not necessarily talking about celestial bodies, although he is. It's also might be some type of intelligence or power, or spiritual beings behind those things. So you know, it's yeah, it's just a song of him. This is something that. We, we sing this one in our tradition, right? you know, on any given Sunday, you might hear this. We, we have like more happy clappy because we're more Protestant based, like our happy clappy songs. Um, but yeah. Royal ascents. Okay. Uh, just understanding that, you know, this comes out of a cultic world. When I say cult, I don't mean like witchcraft. When I say cult, I mean like religious ancient religions, very ceremonial. Um, you know, us with more of a Protestant base, we have a hard time, like, what is that? What is a ritual worship? You know, but the Catholics, the Anglicans, mm -hmm. the Lutherans are like, mm -hmm. welcome to the club, buddy. We've been doing this for 2,000 years, right? right? And the Jews as well in the temple worship. So these could have been, they either considered royal psalms, like there could have been like a royal procession up to Jerusalem, or as people were going up to Jerusalem, that's why it's called the Song of Ascents. A lot of times, mm -hmm. instead of uh, a royal psalm, because you would literally be going up to the temple. Mm -hmm. The Bible thinks of the temple as God's holy place, which is a high place. Eden was considered to be a high place. So as you go up, you're literally and figuratively getting closer to God, or you getting closer to the heavens, right? So an example of a royal psalm would be. 18 yeah, that's a that's a big one so i'm not gonna read it um but i'll just read the little like note that whoever put these together kind of left for us for the director of music of david the servant of the lord he sang to the lord the words of this song when the lord delivered him from the hand of all the enemies and from the hand of saul he said so it's the idea of david going up to jerusalem and he would sing the song, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. That's another one that we've kind of used in some of our traditional songs as well. Um, so this idea of that, like, people might have actually reenacted this, you know, like at different festivals and as a whole. Uh, scholars have, like, you know, they lose their minds trying to figure out, like, what festival this could have been a part of uh, and all that, that fun stuff. It's gotta be a, a bit embarrassing, like when we uh, 
actually, we used to rent uh, for midweek services at the temple, mm -hmm. right? And then, like, the way we look at the Psalms, like, I still remember one day I even put from the director of Patricia Kelly <laughs> without <laughs> understanding any of it. For some reason we just said that. And you've told me this before. I picture you wearing like a frilly thing, like a Shakespeare, like and having like a stick, like it's really embarrassing that there's so many um, Jewish communities that may look at us like, can you call yourself a Bible based church? Yeah. You gotta learn your Bible. So I mean it's it's embarrassing to me, right? Because uh, I've, I've done and said so many crazy things like that. With it, the director, Patricia. It, it is it is sort of <laughs> embarrassing, and you know I I think too because you know we're going through uh, an Ephesians class right now mm -hmm. with a Bible project. Yeah. Uh, one of their free classes online. We're kind of using that for our Sunday service, and when he was going through, like you know, God gave gifts, mm. and he said he gave some to be apostles, yeah. some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be teachers. Yeah. You know. And I think we've taken like evangelists and we've made it to be everything. Yeah. Like, and I think there's a lot of danger in that because I think in making someone who is an evangelist also responsible for all the teaching, yeah. like this stuff takes a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of work to read this stuff and study this stuff, and really get a good sense of what's really going on here. I've also, I've also used like shepherds, shepherding couples, and, yeah. you know, like we just been using a lot of words just lightly and throwing it in there. Yeah. So I was good just going back to like what I've done. But uh, anyway, yeah. so Royal Ascend example, Psalm 18, correct? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I, I could list some more. I have um, some notes. And then, um, you know, these examples I took all from the Yale class I took on the Psalms, which is free on Yale. Uh, I think it's called Online Bible Study. And uh, I'll try and put a link to that as well. And then there's Wisdom Psalms. And they kind of sound just like they are. They're trying to give you wisdom. Mm -hmm. And they're usually pointing back to the Torah, right? Mm -hmm. To the instruction. So there's the sense, um, and I, I'm not gonna read this one because we, we already read one. Uh, we read a little bit of Psalm 1, which is kind of considered a wisdom psalm. Psalm 119 is kind of a classic example. Uh, it's an acrostic as well. So, like, you know, like, if you can't afford Bible classes, it's like a cheap way of learning the Hebrew alphabet. I know Hebrew now. You know? Uh, you never did that? No. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, Bible nerd. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're wisdom psalms. And so they're... There is this idea of, you know, the shadow of the exile really is on all of scripture. The Psalms are no exception. So there's this idea that comes out of the exile that the reason that we're in exile is because we broke the law. We didn't follow the Torah. And if we had followed it, this never would have happened. So when God comes to rescue us, we have to make sure that we know this stuff that we know it in our minds and our hearts and our souls so that when we get out of this, we can, we can do it right. What do you mean get out of this? When God comes to rescue us and we're back in the land and there's a, we have a temple again and we're our, our own people, a group again, 
And so the wisdom Psalms kind of focus on the value of doing all that, of studying the Torah, of studying the law. You know, the, our English Bibles tend to hide the Torah from us. They just say the law. You know, most people think, oh, the Ten Commandments. No, it's five books. There's a lot of it. Read it. And it's, you know, there's surprisingly very little, like, actually telling you what to do when you really get into studying out the Torah, right? It means instruction. And so this kind of brings me to two final points here of just understanding the human condition. Um, the story of Israel is very much the story of humanity. Yeah. It's as if instead of telling all of our thousands of the hundreds, thousands of years of history to kind of understand what's going on here and what's going, what's going on. We have this wonderful story of this one people group of this one point in time where God called people out of the nations to be his own chosen people and how that went and how Jesus fulfills that story. And so doing completes the arc of Genesis one through 11 when all the world went to crap, right? All, all the world fell apart and God was trying to bring the world back together. Uh, and so there's this story here that completely understands the human condition. And I feel like I, I can't say this enough, but the exile is like the one part in scripture that we really need to understand as Christians that we just don't really talk about or we don't really study out that much. We like, we like the narrative stuff in the Torah, right? We like Moses and Joseph, and we like the Ab some of the Abraham stuff, uh, but forget about the Leviticus. We don't like all the, all the kings. We like the David and Goliath stuff. We like, you know, judges is kind of cool. A lot of crazy things happen. Um, and then it's like, we kind of just fast forward to Jesus. Like they, they've, they were terrible. They made a whole bunch of mistakes. So fast forward to Jesus. And that's where we come. Yay, Jesus. Where we're missing like this huge part of the story. Like Jesus comes out of this tradition of post-exiles. Who had gone through that. There, there still was a collective community memory of that. And the New Testament talks about exile as well. Like they, they still live in the shadow of the exile as well. And they almost consider us to be exiles, you know, in this world until Jesus comes back. Not that we're going to go someplace with him, right? right? We're not going anywhere. You know, like Jesus is coming back and restoring all things, right? right? So it talks about the human condition. So I think for Christians, when we don't understand the exile, we don't understand uh, the history that the, the Psalms are trying to paint for us, we really can't get into them and we really can't understand what's going on. But when we do, we really understand the human condition. And, and through, under, so this picture I have here, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, I don't think the angel had like fancy wings and a, a sword. Um, but it's just the idea of Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, right? And the whole of the Bible is trying to resolve that. We're trying to get back in. God lets us build temples, right? Where he lets one person once a year kind of like metaphorically go back into Eden in the holy of holy places, right? At least one of us gets to go, right? And he comes back and intercede for, intercede with God on our behalf, right? Um, and so, the story of the Bible is a story of resolving that human condition. How do we get back to the Eden ideal? How do we become truly human again? How do we become the image of God that we were meant to be? And 
we can really see that as we learn to pray and as we learn to meditate through the Psalms. And through doing that, I think we understand, we get to see, like reflected back to us, the nature of God. You know, Abraham Herschel, who also wrote The Sabbath, wrote two other great books, uh, God in Search of Man, and Man is Not Alone, right? And he was kind of a philosopher of religion, brilliant man. Um, and, you know, he talks about a lot of these things about how, you know, in God's search for us um, and us searching for him back, kind of in that inter interchange, in that relationship, we see the, the nature of God, the character of God reflected back at us. So I would like to challenge you all to start reading through the Psalms. Um, use this little talk that we had today as a jumping off point. Um, I'm going to point you as well to the Bible Project videos and to that Yale uh, online Bible study class, which is very, very good. But understanding the shape of the Psalms, understanding some of the stuff that we talked about today, I want to encourage you guys to go through the Psalms and, and just really read them. You know, don't read them as like, these are the words of God. Does that make sense? So sometimes like, you know, in the Bible, we have like God's words. God says, write this down. But these are different. These are man's words. But they're considered to be inspired. These are someone's prayers. And they're considered to be inspired because in the wrestling between man trying to find God, trying to get back to that Eden ideal, um, we see something. We begin to take shape an actual temple-like space where we get to encounter God. And so even some of that horrible stuff that you read in Psalm 139, your favorite Psalm, mm -hmm. you know, where the psalmist kind of started going off the deep end, was like talking about how, you know, amazing it is. They were knit together. God knit, knit me together in my mother's womb. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of people I want to kill. Let's go kill them, right? Understand that that's actually part of someone's story. And what are the parts in your story that you're embarrassed about? What are some of the parts of your story that you're ashamed about? What are some of the parts of your story that, you know, if your, if your church heard you, heard you say this, they'd be deeply concerned and they might want to shut you down or change your mind or like, I have a scripture for that. I have a scripture for that. Don't worry. Right. This is going to make you all feel better. No, it's not going to make you feel better. It didn't make the psalmist feel all better because they had the Torah and they had the prophets. Right. What made them feel better was that wrestling with God and God gave them that space, right? This isn't like the end of Job where God says, who is this who questions me with words without wisdom? You know, I'm going to question you now. Right. God lets us speak. And through us being able to speak, we work out that place where then they were looking forward towards a better future. And I think with them, we can look forward to a better future as well so honey great job thank you for taking us for real on a short journey in poetry <laughs> i think with narrative it's like it's almost like gilligan's island like three hour tour and we ended up like on the desert someplace in Nineveh. we were in a ship yeah. so i apologize guys um i i like to go deep on all these things i think it's really important um you know i'm always looking for a group of yeah. people who want to do that with me and, um, you know, that might be something that we'll talk about 
at a later date. Yeah, in our, in our last episode uh, for Life to Full podcast. So, as always, adios muchachas. And muchachos.